Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture is from Acts 16, 16 to 64. Persecuted, lambasted, jailed, tortured, Paul and Silas had to wonder if it was really worth it. What compelled them to continue to move forward, to unify a diverse, scattered, and disconnected group of Jesus followers? Love and compassion or raw perseverance? Perhaps all of the above. What do you do when you're caught between the powers of the Roman Empire and following God into the new that God imagines? And what does that look like for our polarized culture today? Paul and Silas in prison. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our pra or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prison prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison, prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I always offer Janelle an apology, so for whatever reason, whenever I preach, I always pick the whole book for her to read as a scripture. (laughs) Before we uh, hear what the Spirit is saying today, please join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, when we panic or fear over the systems of harm unfolding before us, soothe us. Soothe us so that we may act not in a knee-jerk haste, but out of the grounding of your internal wisdom. Invite us towards what is ours to do and release within us what is not ours to do. And as we co-labor for justice, enable us to protect our rest and our play, for we desire liberation in and for all beings. Encourage us to be curious together so that way we can imagine a new way of living out your words through the Spirit. Amen. So today we continue the sermon series, Then What? What does it mean for us to identify as Christians? And as many of you know, I like to share the journey of how I come about to write a sermon. So in the Revised Common Lectionary, the scriptures that Janelle read today seem like a perfect fit for someone who comes to this theological and pastoral praxis through a lens of confinement and freedom. I get to talk about jail and incarceration. But then someone approached me last week with a comment that to me seemed out of the blue, but also not surprising. One that I hope, while it was said in passing, was actually an invitation for a deeper conversation later on. So already knowing that I was going to preach on this, and in addition to wanting to push back on that critique, I knew that my focus should change, but I wasn't quite sure how. I had to sit with that uncomfortableness all week. And then we had yet another deadly attack on bodies of culture. If you you recall, there's been 10 black bodies murdered by gun violence in a grocery store in Buffalo. There are Asian bodies in a church in California that were attacked and murdered by guns that same week. There are the murdered bodies of 19 mostly Latinx children and two of their teachers in Texas just days ago. And the official numbers of those who have died from COVID-19 has reached an unrecognizable number of one million bodies. All of this death and the announcement of death has happened in less than two weeks time. And so my need to defend my theological approach changed. It changed to explore what does it mean for us to feel cared for and to care for one another. 
especially in the times of seemingly endless chaos? And how do we do that based on the text that we hold so sacred? To offer an invitation to learn and see from it, and hopefully from my perspective, which will almost always be a womanist and a liberation perspective, for I believe that we should all be free. Recently, Pastor David Garcia asked, what would our faith look like if, and what would our faith look like if it and our belief in it was rooted in a God that envelops us all? And that means women, that means black, brown, Asian, and indigenous bodies. I know that by making a direct recognition or statement about women, black, brown, Asian, and indigenous bodies have made some of you uncomfortable. And in your own ways, you have either shared that with me or shown it to me. But I wonder where that uncomfortableness comes from. And I wonder how that uncomfortableness could change if we would feel less inclined to strive to be in relationship with God and begin to understand our relationship with God as if it was already here, as if God was our constant reality, and if we allowed ourselves to be uncomfortable to learn from the unknown or the unexpected. I believe that the book of Acts is actually a good place for us to start to become witness to the fact that God is indeed in whom we all are and at every stage of our living and existing. But first, a little background of Acts, so that way we can witness what care might look like for a church that is becoming, or better stated, for humans that are becoming more Christ-like or Christian. The book of Acts is like the book of Genesis. It announces the beginning of something without specifically stating it. Acts actually has an interesting relation to what will later emerge as a rule of faith that we have followed for centuries. And that is the idea and the practice of a ritual or tradition is narrated to us by telling us, and then, and now what? The book of Acts is actually not a biography of Paul. Paul's actions are a part of a grander narrative concerning the origins and the development of the church at its earliest stages. But you have to remember that Luke wrote Acts in order to continue the guidance and the teaching among Jesus' followers. And it's not a coincidence that the stories of Paul in Acts models the journey before when Jesus was crucified. Thus, we can identify Acts as a work of history, not biography. It's also very, very important in my research that I came across to recognize that Paul is indeed a Jew. He was a Jew before, he was a Jew during, and he was a Jew after his encounter with Christ. To understand that means that we can understand that he struggled with both the cognitive and physical dissonance of being a Jew in a world with non-Jews. We can see how Paul confronted the problem of human difference either through the diaspora or through empire. In fact, to know that life under empire, either in biblical times or in contemporary times that we find ourselves in here, means that the lives were always under threat of assimilation. And that transformation means that daily life and interactions are the direct attempts to weaken 
and even for us to lose our cultural identities, our connectedness, and even our religious sensibilities. We can see that today, whether it be the attempts to ban critical race theory and replace it with replacement theory, or in the way that we interpret our religious and sacred texts, or the way that we sort through fact and fiction, or even the way that we avert or guide our gaze. It is in Acts where we find faith caught between diaspora and empire. The book of Acts is the struggle against the powers and the principalities that exploited the emotions of both the diaspora and of the empire. And in that, it sought people to, and pushed people to drive, to, to kill, to steal, to destroy for the sake of either the future or the comfort or the safety of the diaspora or of the empire. But really, what the book of Acts is, it's a sense of struggle to yield to the Spirit, following God into the new that God imagines and brings about for us in the world. The book of Acts and the author is keenly aware of the suffering of those and those who cause it, and it also sees God working towards the good of all living creatures in the midst of pain. It reveals the spirit who joins us in time, shares with us our spaces, and even those spaces where we are confined, where we are lonely, and where we are less free. The spirit joins us in those places and makes it fit for a divine activity, helping us to feel cared for. Theologian Willie James Jennings says the book of Acts is, beckons us to a life-giving historical consciousness that begins both in the midst of time that is past and present. And what's really exciting about this particular book is that it pulls us towards a future with God, a new creation, a new future through the Spirit. So how is it that we can find faith and care inside of an empire. The book of Acts reminds us that it, that can be found inside the empire only once we fully understand that to follow Jesus means that we have to be uncomfortable. It means that we are already a betrayer to whatever it is we believed before. And we see that in this particular scripture that was read today with the incarceration of both Paul and Silas. If I were to pick just one sentence to describe the book of Acts, it would be that the book of Acts speaks of revolution. And the God of Israel and the God of today waits no more for the perfect time to be revealed. For now is the time and here is the place. The verses that Janelle read earlier are actually bookended in uh, verse 11 um, by a woman and it comes after the verses that she read. So in verse 11, we're introduced to a woman named Lydia, who is a rich woman, and she is baptized and becomes a follower of Jesus. Her very first act after baptism was to open up her home to care for Paul and Silas before they journeyed on. That this particular story that was read today is introduced first by what I call a care template, means that we are introduced to one of the many ways in which we care for one another in a post-executed Jesus world. 
By choosing baptism, Lydia is now living against what the world order at that time called for. She is led by the Spirit out of that social order and into something new. And as we heard earlier, the story continued, and we learned that Paul and Silas journeyed together towards a prayer. And there they gained a co-traveler, a woman who haunted their prayer walk. As as bothered as they were by that, or you can even imagine they were by it, I encourage you for just a moment to, to slow down and to perhaps think about the many sides of this woman's actions, and then to see how Paul decided to care for her at that one pivotal moment. What I mean by that is that Paul freed the woman from the bondage of usefulness of fortune telling and the use of her body. In verse 19, we see when her owner saw that that lucrative business was suddenly bankrupt, what happened? Verse 19 is incredibly indicative of who we are today, and it captures the history of how we got here. It was in that moment that Paul helps to rid the slave woman position of her position, and that is where we are witness to the spirit crumbling the imperial design from within, destroying the divide between those who are enslaved and their masters. And contained within this story, we find two of the most powerful tools of power over women and those of the diaspora when we are reminded of the Gentile hatred for Jews and then the threat of punishment. The owners of this woman use her one last time, and this time through their actions. It was really an incredibly demonic juxtaposition. They posed her as the stability of a city, a social world, and a people on one side, and the problem of the Jews with Paul and Silas on the other. Here we are exposed to Jewish differences, the difference of people of God and those who are willing to exploit the difference for political and economic gain. The hierarchies of the Roman Empire, especially against women and poor, were very, very carefully nurtured. We see this being undone first by Jesus and now in Acts by the Spirit, who, as Willie James Jennings states, does not release slave or free Jew or Gentile, to their own self-interpretations, but the Spirit will relentlessly prod them to open themselves up towards one another in a life that builds something called the common. And through Paul's actions, we instead see how the common joins, weaving together purpose and hope in the life of a discipleship to Jesus. Neither the Roman Empire or the Jewish diaspora could tolerate the common because it represented a massive disruption to the political, to the religious, to the economic, and to the social designs, everything that made them comfortable, whether it be them then or us today. But I believe that such a haunting um, by the spirit end of this woman was completely necessary because the tormented cries of the enslaved must always make us uncomfortable. The point was not to silence her, but it was to release her from her networked captivity. 
In verse 22, we read that judges went along with the mob. They had Paul and Silas's clothes ripped off and ordered a public beating. After beating them black and blue, they threw them into jail. There was no due process, no court hearing for them. And since both the empire and the diaspora could not tolerate a revolution, it turned to the tools of lies and deceptions and falsehoods, you know, the status quo, that ultimately led people like Paul and Silas to be incarcerated. Today, we see that same thing happening through exploitation, through racism and sexism and bigotry. And, you know, those threats to the status quo are always signs of the incarceration. They encircle the punishment system. We know that prison has never been about criminals, but it is indeed about societies. As the story of Paul and Silas indicate, the prison is a tool for control and for containment. And we see in Paul's time, we are also witness to it here today, that we are often seduced by believing that killing and destroying and incarcerating people can create and sustain peace and order and safety. For indeed, incarceration and prison and torture go hand in hand with being the common, being the diaspora, being a body of culture, and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The prison is and has been an enticing power because it shares with it its violence as a powerful attraction. Violence in the prison issue these false promises that they can recreate a ground for which life can be freshly built. And that happens by removing the impediments to a flourishing life and not actually caring for any body that is incarcerated or impacted by incarceration. And to be clear, historically, incarceration is the process and at the disposal of the rich and the powerful. And here, in the story, we see it unleashed on the servants of Jesus. Those of us in the prison-drenched West who are conditioned to believe that our safety is directly tied to bodies locked behind doors and prisoners chained, the sheer idea of those prison doors opening wide and chains loosened, or the term of abolition, just as we are witness to in the scripture, strike many of us in terror. In that regard, we become one with the jailer, one whose sense of well-being is shattered if people are set free. So we who are aligned with the technology of the prison are shown in these scriptures today that there is a new order of life to one in which the Spirit calls us and works through us, if only we can imagine life beyond punishment. Imagine life without violence and death. If only we could imagine what our life would look like if the Spirit joined us in time. Willie James Jennings states that we would do well to remember the details that Luke gives us in this story. There is the repetition of a familiar suffering. Why again tell us about incarceration over and over again? He says because doing so, he brings our discipleship to one of its crucial centering realities from which we gain a clear sight. And that clear sight is that disciples care about bodies and how they are treated and mistreated.
For this very reason, Paul and Silas in the midst of a confined cell broke out into song and prayer, and those in prison joined them in the singing. Here is where the Spirit joins them in time, sharing their spaces, making it fit for a divine activity, and thus setting them free. If the ascension is a continuation of the incarnation, then God does not move up and away from us, but continues to move in and through each of us. God empowers us to love the world as God so loved the world. So I ask you today, how do you care for and about bodies? Not others specifically first. Let's start with our own. I want you to think about what I'm about to say a little bit more. As I read to this part to you again, I, I hope that you can pay attention to what you feel and where you feel it. And then what gifts and care do you give to yourself in order to find love in those difficult places? Black bodies murdered by gun violence at a grocery store in Buffalo. Asian bodies in a church in California, tormented and murdered by guns. Nineteen children on what was the last week of school. One million people lost to COVID. Somatic healer Prentice Hemphill shared this week by saying, the root is a culture that worships violence because it is afraid to feel, to care for ourselves, for we do not love living, we love control. The root is a festering and hardening brutality that ironically is a refusal to be small and vulnerable, and it's a refusal to change. The root is a culture that passes on pain, repression, and disconnection. Where we cannot tolerate the realness of others, we use each other as screens where we project our own self-hatred. This country's refusal to feel may be the death of each and every one of us. We must slow down again to see the operations of violence and incarceration in their intimate relationship to the forces of power and death. The good news is, though, that we must also see that each time that we gather in the name of Jesus and lift our voices, whether it is here in this building or beyond its foundation, 
today's sermon and the songs that are sung and the prayers that are spoken and these verses that were read could and should shape our reverence and drive us to see and learn and know and change the situations in which those who suffer in the name of Jesus. We can begin or we can continue to care for one another anew. For when that indeed happens, the world will be overturned. We know too, too well to ever be fooled into believing that punishment and fear is natural or normal or that even incarceration fixes anything or anyone. What we do know, though, is that Jesus and all those he encountered up to the very last moment he took his last breath, it is that caring for one another as if God, as if God, as if God is in each of us, because guess what? God is in each of us. And the list of the common who come together to care for one another because it is what Jesus would do is only a small portion to the impacts of what that care has on others. Lydia showed up uh, and showed us what it means to care by preparing a resting place for Paul and Silas before they journeyed forward. Paul freed the slave woman from her proposed usefulness and from her slave owners. Paul and Silas care for those who are imprisoned with them by engaging in song and prayer. Paul saves the jailer from suicide by offering him what Jesus and the Spirit has given so many. The jailer cared by dressing their wounds and providing them a home on that first night. And then we go back to that woman, Lydia. Lydia houses Paul and Silas, the ex-offenders, for a few more days in a place where the Holy Spirit has come in and made it divine. Both the incarnation and the ascension have been described as God's yes to Jesus and to all of creation. God's yes should lead to our own yes to care for all of creation and not just the portions that serve or benefit us. If we said yes to caring for all of creation as God does through Christ, then our world could and will look very different. We would abolish racist and sexist institutions and attitudes such as the prison industrial complex. We would abolish capitalism which exploits the labors of workers for the profits of the owners, and we would develop new institutions of care that serve all of humanity. Who must we love better? Who must we feed? Who must we clothe? Who must we welcome? The incarnation is not finished, and we get to be a part of God's continuous incarnation of care in our everyday lives. For we need people of faith who will yield to the Spirit 
at this very, very moment. This God of Israel waits no more for the perfect time to be revealed. For now, beloved community, is the time. And here is the place. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.